You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. This episode is an interview with plus-sized yoga instructor Angelica Wilson. She's six foot two, born and raised and currently residing in New York. She sometimes refers to herself as a unicorn, which means that she doesn't fit the mold. Angelica was a dance instructor for nearly eight years and has been teaching yoga for about four years. She's a Leo sun and rising. In our conversation, we dove into the issues of racial inclusivity in yoga spaces, going into what students, teachers, and studio owners can do to facilitate true inclusivity. We also dive deeply into the discussion around body positivity as a plus-sized woman of color yoga teacher. She has interacted with many circumstances where there have been unconscious biases on the part of instructors, as well as facing certain restrictions and limitations and representation from the bigger brands that represent the mainstream yoga industry. So dive into this conversation with an open heart and let's go on the journey together. Hi, Angelica. Thanks so much for joining me on the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. I'm super excited to have you as a guest. And Thanks for having would, me. Thank you. And I would love to really introduce you to all of the listeners. And if we could start off with really getting to know your initial starting of the yoga journey. So how did you come to the yoga practice? How long have you been practicing? And what inspired you to come to the practice? Well, my practice is, or my journey to uh, start practicing is kind of a weird one. I did my first down dog at 15 in a modern dance class and realized in that moment that I hated all yoga and I would never do it because I was not a pretzel. Fast forward <laughs> about three years, a friend of mine was going off to college and she was like, I love doing yoga. You have to come with me just, just one time before I go. I was like, fine, I'll go. And the whole class was extraordinarily difficult, but I loved the feeling of savasana. And in my mind at the time, it was very much like, oh, I get to take a nap after this. So that was actually a huge motivator for me, especially as I also went to college. It was like, okay, I get to do all this stuff and sweat everything out. And then I get to take a nap at the end. Um, and then five and a half years after that, I finally got talked into doing my first teacher training um, because I at first was like, I'm never going to be a yoga teacher. I just want to do this and just keep taking naps and keep getting stronger. But then I realized that there weren't a lot of people in the yoga space that looked like me and it kind of started to get to me. And I was like, this is interesting. So I thought, Hey, let me do like teaching and make it sort of a side thing, a hobby. And the more and more people that came out to me, I went, Oh my gosh, like it's so great to have a yoga teacher that looks like you and like, you look like me. And I'm like, what? And it was just something that I realized like, Oh, I need to be here. So other people can also like come into this practice whole story to say I've been doing this. I've been practicing yoga for eight years and I've been teaching since 2016. So that is my yoga journey. I love, I love how you, you know, you you said you were 15 when you did your first downward dog. 
And yes. that you had this reaction like, oh no, I, this is not for me. And I, I love, I love that. I feel like, you know, we have these stories of people that say, oh, I went to my first class and it was just heaven. And I feel like this is, this is the real reaction that a lot of people have. You know, they feel that, you know, they're not flexible enough. They don't fit the mold. They feel like, oh, it's not, you know, not for me. And then you, then you made, you know, the decision to come back through, you know, through a friend of yours. What was it like? What, what kind of classes were those that you went to when, when, you know, the class spoke to you again and when you were able to, you know, go into the nap and enjoy that space? What kind of, what kind of yoga was that? And what was different about, what was different about the pretzel? Were there less pretzel positions or was it really just like something, something else that happened? Were you in a different space or, or what? I think. Something that was that allowed me to like go into the nap was the breathing. It was vinyasa yoga to be specific about the style. And well, power vinyasa to be even more specific. And I really liked the breathing that we did because I feel like sometimes from what I saw sort of like in media, it was that very quiet breathing and like a soft sigh. And in the studio that I went to at, for the very first time, it was like these loud like sighs and like this really cathartic release of breathing. And I was like, well, I can like, I might not be able to hold the down dog for two seconds, but at least I can breathe really loud. And that was like a great, like jumping in point. And they were also really packed classes. So it wasn't just like me, my friend and like three people. It was like upwards of 30 people in a space. So it was a very like communal vibe, which was really nice. What about the community that you went to? I mean, did it, how long did it take for you to realize that you didn't really see so many people that you identified with in classes? I think it took me until like the very, well, I, the first time I got asked to do a teacher training was about a year and a half after I started practicing. And they were like, Hey, we have a teacher training coming up. Like you should join. And I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. And then when I started thinking about, because, well, this is very important. Before I was a yoga teacher, I was a dance instructor. So (laughs) I, I already had experience teaching in a more performative space Mm -hmm. and in dance, especially like contemporary and theater tap and ballet the range of people in public facing positions is very limited I'll put it that way to start Um, Mm -hmm. so especially entering yoga that's when I thought about like the teachers of yoga and then I connected it sort of to dance I was like yeah here too it's the same type of people doing the same things and I was like okay something needs to change Mm -hmm. so I was never a dancer and it's always in my mind you know, if only I had been a dancer, if only I had been, you know, had some background, like, how does your background in dance impact your yoga practice and your yoga teaching today? And is the community different? Like, is, are the community around dance different than the community that's around yoga? I think there, there are similarities and differences between the dance and yoga community. Um, there's still that, and it, it also depends on who you surround yourself with, because there's always, there's always going to be those people that are very competitive and sort of like backstabby and it's like yes in yoga too there are people that can be like that and it's very strange especially in yoga to see that um but there's also or at least the communities that i've been exposed to there are also those people that are very loving when we could hug one another we just like give each other really big hugs and like how are you doing and then afterwards you go eat and it's just like sort of like beyond just what you practice together it's also those friendships that you make Yeah, I totally agree. I miss that right now in our coronavirus, you know, solitary confinement. It's a a whole different, you know, a whole different world that, 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 that sense of community. But, but 
One thing I would like to kind of dive into is what that community looks like in terms of representation. You know, as you mentioned, you said that when part of your motivating factor to actually say yes to that offer to join the teacher training was that you didn't see yourself reflected back into the community. Like, first of all, what's like, what specifically does that mean? And how did that, how did that impact your feeling of belonging? For dance or for yoga first or for both? Maybe for both. And, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I don't know anything about the dance world, but I, I feel like, I feel it might be, it might be interesting to see the, to, you know, to explore the parallels between those two and if there's a difference, you know, for a positive or a negative way. I'd say sort of representation. There's sort of like this, I'd say in the dance world, well, in the dance world and in yoga too, I do see things changing, even though I haven't been like as deep in the dance world as I have been in years past. But there are always those, how do I put this appropriately? Because I don't want to sort of like bring this whole umbrella over like a group of people. But it's also like there's a sort of imagery of like high ponytail, slim figures, light skin. They put their foot over their head 20 times around and sort of that like competition dance where it's more of about tricks rather than the technique and sort of the art form of dance itself. Mm-hmm. And sort of a parallel in the yoga world would be sort of like you see a bunch of people that are sort of like beachy and have studied in Bali. And it's like not everyone has done that and has had those opportunities. And to hear a narrative outside of that can sometimes be like, oh, that's another narrative to this sort of story. And it's like, yeah, there are people that didn't do competition dance. There are people that didn't do their yoga trainings or Bali in India. I did mine in the East Village in New York City. So it's just like, Mm-hmm. sort of like that's a parallel about like what we sort of present to media as dance and yoga and then the actual experiences there are curvier teachers we see like a dancer that's curvier is Paris Globel she's from New Zealand and she is killing it she does so many amazing pieces of choreography and she's a big girl that does it better than a whole lot of people that I've ever seen and in yoga we have so many Curvaceous people coming forward and being like, "Hey, I do this too," and it's really broadening the perspective of audience. I absolutely love that, and I think that the image that you described about you know the high ponytail, the leg behind the head—I I actually thought you were going to say that that was the image of the of the yogi that was presented. You know, and I think that <laughs> yeah, I think the same thing—the same thing very much happens in the yoga world that there's this singular image of, you know, tall, thin, light-skinned, uber-flexible, somewhat sexual, you know, person wearing the right mm-hmm. clothes, you know, pitched with the perfect background, um, doing all of the right tricks for, you know, those social media hits on Instagram, and it, it becomes a performance. And then, I you know, there's so many people that feel that that doesn't represent them. And that so many people look at that and feel like, well, if that's what yoga is, that's not for me. You know, and, and, and what, what are some things that the wellness industry and the yoga industry right now is getting right and it's getting wrong about rehabilitating that image? Hmm. How are they getting right? When we, when we talk about the yoga industry, are we talking just about studios or are we also talking about clothing companies? Because I can go into that too. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's take them one by one. So let's start, like, let's start with studios because there, okay. you know, that, that's where, that's where the work, that's where a lot of the yoga actually happens. You know, as you mentioned, like not everybody goes to India or Bali and takes these, you know, yoga journeys to like far flung countries. A lot of the, like the groundwork of the yoga movement in the world is 
often led by someone who's passionate about the practice and opens a studio and, you know, is trying to really provide a service to their community, to the people that live in that neighborhood. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a yoga studio owner. I, I know, you know, I know what it means to open up shop and like show up and hopefully bring some people in and, and, you know, and, and in our, in our studio, one of like, and in particular in our, in our yoga tradition, we, you know, and I practice and teach Ashtanga yoga and Ashtanga yoga doesn't have a reputation for being extremely accessible, uh, on any means. It's something that I've kind of taken on as a mantle to try to make specifically Ashtanga yoga accessible by normalizing things that in other styles of yoga are, are actually quite normal, normalizing things like modifications and props and adjustments and, and like adjusting the posture to different body types and, in, you know, increasing representation in, in how the Ashtanga method is presented. But, but these are like, like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if all of yoga studios are interested in that conversation or what your experience is of studios. Like, are there some that are interested in the conversation of, you know, ex- the expansion of representation? And, and there, are there some that are just kind of operating in their bubble and not really interested in it? From my experience, I think one of the things that I can say about my experience that I'm very thankful for is that I've never fully put my well no I put myself in everything I do but I practice in a lot of different spaces sort of to see different communities if that makes Mm -hmm. sense so Mm -hmm. so when I go into different spaces I see different things and studios at the top sort of like have like the people that run the studio and then the ones that I've been in also have people that recruit and sometimes the people that recruit teachers can sort of recruit based on their own personal preferences and underlying biases, whether they realize it or not. And then that relates to teachers who, for some, yes, they can be well-versed in teaching for long periods of time, but sometimes some teachers are taught to only teach to their personal practice, which is where I'm thankful that I have a dance background where I've taught children, I've taught seniors, I've taught people my age, my body type, not my body type. And there are other teachers like me who have taught multiple types of bodies, but I feel like there are some teachers that are brought out of teacher trainings going, okay, only teach to you. And when you only teach to you, you sort of limit yourself and how you can then garner a larger audience because you're not teaching to the bodies in front of you. You're only teaching to you. You have to be able Mm -hmm. to teach to you and to the bodies in front of you. So that way you can go, we're going to make this posture. Let's say we're going to do a tree pose. You know, sometimes it's, okay, bring your foot to your inner thigh. And if you can't do that, take a mountain pose. It's like, well, what does that do? It's like, rather than say tree pose, you can kickstand the heel on the shin. You can place your foot on your shin, or you can bring your foot all the way up to the inner thigh and sort of being able Mm -hmm. to look at your room, whether it be in person or digitally, and be able to speak to that. And so a lot of studios may have teachers that can do that or may not. And I think right now we're having those conversations of like, um, for example, one of the studios that I teach in, we had a refresh on how to teach to different body types, which I thought was really nice and have those sorts of conversations. And that same studio is also having conversations about racial representation within the space and how that is not only about who works the front desk, but who's teaching, who's coming in the door. How do we speak to different people? The conversation and uh, about racial representation is, is so relevant right now. I mean, it's on, I feel it's on everyone's minds and on everyone, really on everyone's hearts. And there are probably studio owners or students who are going to listen to this, who want to, who want to know like what steps they can individually take as a studio owner, you know, uh, there are clear steps as a student. It might feel like, 
they're not really clear on what they can do to, you know, encourage the conversation about racial inclusivity. Do you have any suggestions for like what you've seen work well in studio spaces that you've been in or at, or in your experience as either a student teacher or member of a, or member of a community? As a member of a community, there's one studio that I do frequent quite often. Um, and something that I think they're doing really well is that they just address it. They don't try to shy away from it. They talk about what's going on in our society and our community. And then it's like, it's sort of like, you know, this is what's going on without sort of sugarcoating it because it also ties into that whole conversation we're having now in wellness about, you know, everything is about peace and love. And it's like, eh, no, it's not really <laughs> like really revealing like what is truly yoga and how we practice yoga. That's another tangent, but to come back to more to, to more to the specific sort of like, um, what we're going through racially. I'd say conversations are important, but before those conversations can truly flourish, there needs to be a sense of trust that the studio, whether it's recruiters or it should be recruiters and owners have the ability to listen. Because sometimes it's sort of like, you can say the same thing 50 times over. We need more racial representation. We need more black people. We need Hispanic people. We need Asian people. We need white people. We well, not really right now, but you know what I mean? Like we need, yeah. <laughs> like we really, we really don't right now. Um, but, you know, like we need people, we need more types of people. We need to make this more of a salad rather than just like a bunch of lettuce. Like we need, you know, extra fruits in the bowl. And it's, mm -hmm. it's one of those things of like, you can say things a thousand times, but if they fall on deaf ears, nothing's going to happen. So mm -hmm. I'd say if you're a studio owner, that's facing a lot of people, you know, telling you, you need more representation, listen process and respond, not just with empty promises, but also clear plans. And if it takes a while to work on those plans, acknowledge that it's taking a while to work on those plans rather than going, trust me, we're working on it, we're working on it. It's like, no, just really acknowledge it in more of a, a straightforward way. Mm -hmm. For, for some down. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. So there's a lot there. I think, I think there, there are a couple of things for studio owners or people who are involved in a communities to think about. It's like, you know, there, there are some yoga studios that are very defined by their geographic location. So they may be in a city that's very homogenous or, or a particular neighborhood that's very homogenous. And they may think in their minds, well, it'd be great to have diversity, but they're, they're planted in a place that doesn't have diversity, whichever, whichever way it goes, you know, one of, one of the, one of the, our, our students actually, she teaches at a studio that's in a Russian community here in South Florida and everybody who goes to the studio is Russian and everybody who teaches there is Russian. They're all Russians and there's only Russians there. She's like, should we try to have some non-Russian people? And they're just like, there's a Russian neighborhood and there's no one that's going to go. That's non-Russian. It's kind of weird, you know? So there may be some real, some real like obstacles that are, that are far beyond what any one studio could do, but it doesn't mean that they can't take the effort, whether that's creating scholarships that's, uh, I, I find that every, every yoga studio has the potential to create scholarships, whether that's a scholarship to a teacher training, whether that's a scholarship to classes. This is something to actually make space. And, and as you mentioned, if they're to, to, to recruit people to not just like put it out there and say, Oh, well, we have the scholarship. If someone asks us to actually actively be promoting that to see if there is, you know, someone in the vicinity that could potentially visit the studio that you could lift up. I, 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 I really, I, I think that's really important to acknowledge because, you know, yoga classes are expensive. You know, they're $20, $20, $30 a class and sometimes and people who may represent part of that diversity that, that, that 
hopefully many studio owners are trying to, you know, encourage might not be able to afford a drop in, but, and they might not feel comfortable asking for the scholarship. But if it's actively recruited and saying, this is available for you and we, you know, we want to, we want this to happen, then I don't know. I feel like maybe that's more of a positive. So anyhow, the next question I wanted to ask you is, is, is you said with a, with, with a, with a wonderful heart, um, you know, we need more Asian people. We need more, you know, Latin people. We need more black people. We need more, you know, people of all different colors, more indigenous people, more white people. And they were like, wait a minute. No, not more white people. So let's unpack that. Like <laughs> why not more white people? I mean, like I, I could come up with a lot of reasons. I'd love to hear, like, we'll unpack that a little bit so that people understand, you know, what what's being really asked for in the conversation right now. Yeah, it's one of those things of like, because this actually came up in a meeting that we had with one of the studios I work for. And it was one of those things where actually someone else said that. And it was one of our recruiters said, you know, I really don't think we need more white teachers right now. And it's one of those things where it's like, I'm pausing to like say this the way I really want it to come across. But it's not that if you're white and you want to be a yoga teacher, no, don't do it. Like now it's not your time. Like I'm not going to berate you for wanting to do a teacher training. That's not what this is about. But it's more of we don't need we will we what we need to do and what we're starting to do is break down our bias of what we want a yoga teacher to look like. And a lot of times when people audition for studios and when people are getting hired at studios, people tend to go, oh, this is an image of what a yoga teacher should be. And we're going to hire that type of person, which is also why I kind of wanted to tie in, and we will probably later on in this conversation, clothing companies, because mm-hmm. a lot of clothing companies tend to show that very slim, lanky, white image of this is someone who does yoga. This is a yoga teacher. And that in our minds can start to embed these ideas of this is the type of person that is a yoga teacher and anyone else is not. And mm-hmm. it's like, if you want to be white and be a teacher, Go ahead, live your best life, but also know where you stand in society in this current moment and begin to figure out ways that you can also speak to injustices that are going on in the United States of America, specifically in this moment. The other community that I mentioned before that just says it as it is, most of the teachers at that studio are white and all of them speak about what's going on in society in the moment and what we can do to help, what we can do outside of just an asana practice. And I think Mm -hmm. it's like, yes, you can be a white yoga teacher, but also know that you also have the ability to speak to people about what is going on currently. And that will has gone on for centuries and that we probably will continue to need to break down for many, many years to come. What do you, have you gotten any feedback from people who say, you know, Oh, just leave the politics outside of yoga. You know, like, why can't we just breathe and I'll be one? You know, I'm very fortunate. And I know this is my own echo chamber. And I haven't, I still haven't gotten anyone that said that to me or in my social circle or has posted it on social media. Like no one has asked that sort of like, well, why can't we just leave the politics out of it? Why can't we do that? And it's like, does it really make you feel that uncomfortable to talk about politics? Imagine how uncomfortable it feels to experience racism. Um, just like, and it's one of those things of like, uh, it's just like this sort of like wellness. Like it's also the marketing around wellness of being like, everything mm-hmm. is supposed to be like rainbows and breezy fields. And like, it's just where all cotton as you lay upon your rubber mat and <laughs> just everything's going to melt away. And that right. really isn't it. Like I've had, and this isn't politically related, but, the point ties back, but it's like, I had someone take my class and afterwards they were like, 
wow, that was really hard. And it was like, did you think it was going to be easy? Like, yeah. like yoga is like yoga is going to challenge you just like you have to mm-hmm. challenge yourself when mm-hmm. politics pop up. And when we think about mm-hmm. politics and it's like, what we do on the mat relates to what we do off of the mat. How we approach to things on the mat relates to how we approach things off of the mat. So it's like, no, you can't take politics out of yoga because it's going to come up no matter where you are. You know, society is politics. Everything is politics. Absolutely. You know, the, the, as you mentioned, the work of unpacking our biases, particularly our unconscious thoughts and biases, this is the definition of yoga, you know, at, at, on a deeper spiritual level. And we've, we've had this false equivalence now of yoga with the posture work, you know, like yoga with the poses that we do. But, you know, if we look back at the traditional yogic teachings, we have the, you know, we have these unconscious patterns, which are called in Sanskrit, the samskaras that, you know, lead to the fruits of suffering. Well, you know, the grand societal unconscious, you know, unconscious sometimes racial bias is one of the main drivers of, of suffering and, you know, the far beyond just emotional suffering, like actual physical trauma and the, and the, and the actual death and murder of black bodies in the United States. So if they're, if an individual can unpack their own bias around that and spend a little bit of time reading, listening, reflecting, you know, and thinking, well, what are the ways that my mind contributes to this, you know, larger monster that's out there devouring innocent people? Like what, what, what role do I play as a cog in that system? And how can I, how can I, how can I, you know, break free from that? That that's, that's essentially what yoga traditional philosophy encourages people to do. So I, I feel like it, this is, this is the work of yoga. You know, if yoga is about liberation, then we have to break free of all those of, of all those restrictions in the mind. So, you know, I, I unfortunately have gotten many times people say, anytime I post something that is in all, in any way charged, and maybe it's because my community's bigger, somebody will send me messages. You know, I, I used to get the message, uh, like something along the lines of, you know, just shut up and do your yoga. And I felt like, what is, you don't even know what yoga is. Like, I'm not, I'm not here just as this object for you to look at. Like, this is practice that I want you to, do and let it impact your soul. So if you're here to just look at pretty pictures, then, you know, at least don't comment. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but I would, I think it's important for people to, to understand how you personally have potentially felt as someone that didn't fit the mold. Like, have you had, first of all, how do you identify as, you know, as someone, as, as a teacher and, and, or as a student in the yoga world or as, as a human being. And how has that made you feel that you may not have seen that image as you self identify represented back to you in teachers and or conventional mainstream imagery around yoga? Well, my whole life I've been called a unicorn. So I'm very, <laughs> a very unique human being. I'm six foot two. I'll just say it right now. The last time I weighed myself, I was about 295 pounds. So I'm six foot two. 295 pounds, black woman. I have short curly hair and I am a yoga teacher, surprisingly. Not really. Um, <laughs> and it's one of those things of like being so many different things. And also, oh my goodness, I should talk about this because I can. As you said, like a lot of things in yoga are very like can sometimes come off as very like posture based. I mm-hmm. have knock knees and I have lordosis. Oh my goodness. The amount of <laughs> like it's the amount of times I do certain postures and teachers will say, well, put your feet together. I can't because my knees are together before my feet are. Or sometimes mm-hmm. I say, take the curve out of your lower back. I have an ass. So I can't really do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, so it's also just like being me 
as a student, oh my God, and being a student, sometimes teachers will automatically assume I'm new to yoga. Like I've been Mm -hmm. to a studio before where I sat down, put my mat down, got my blocks, got everything set up. And teacher goes to no one else but me. And he goes, so, hey, are you new here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm new to the studio. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do like, you know, we're going to have our practice. I'm like, okay, like, if you need anything, let me know. I'm like, okay, like, yeah, because we're going to do some like really hard stuff. I'm like, okay. And she's like, if you need any modifications. And I literally had to look her square in the eye and go, I am also a yoga instructor. And the shock upon her face, I wish I could have laughed in front of her face, but I just, I'm not that mean. I, <laughs> but it was just, it was just like, leave me alone, like for crying out loud. Like, and yeah. it was just one of those things like, like and also like some teachers as a student like some teachers have like tried to sort of shark me and what I mean by that is like what does that mean? when yeah. they're trying like when they're trying to build a posture they'll like hover around me ready to give me an assist that I know already that I don't necessarily like kind of want or need but it's just like for example I was in another space and we were doing half moon and I mean the teacher is like speaking to like the energy of the pose and like saying okay, well, have your right toes facing here and your right fingertips here. And like, and I was just waiting for the name of the posture to come up because I was like, we could be doing, you know, side angle or triangle. Like, where are we going with this? And then she said half moon and then I did it. And then she kind of like stepped back with like her hands beside her shoulders. I know you can't see me in person, but her hands behind her shoulders like that. <laughs> like, oh, wow. And like literally said that. And I was like, what, you think it wasn't going to happen? Like, I just like, <laughs> and that can be like very frustrating. Um, As a teacher, I've had students like, come up to me and go, I didn't know you were the teacher. (laughs) I was like, well, I am. Um, Even more recently, I've had like clients come up to me thinking I worked for the front desk, which Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily like an offensive offensive thing, but it's more of like the way they talk to the front desk is different to how they speak to the teachers. Mm -hmm. So the way they would speak to me was sort of very like condescending. And I was just like, but then when it was like, I turned down the music and I was like, Hey, I'm your instructor for today. It was sort of, you could see the look on their faces like, oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if I put you in a 30 Mm -hmm. second plank, you know what? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. It's very interesting. It's sort of like that looking down upon me. So how does that that make you feel? And what's the feeling? Because you said, you said it was frustrating and you said, leave me alone. But like, what's, like, what's the feeling to be on the receiving end of that? I just kind of feel like, like, I'm the type of person that doesn't get all like, oh, my God, like, I can't, and, like, start getting very, like, I'm more of, like, I'm going to show you exactly what I, I'm I'm capable <laughs> of, and you are going to feel very, very unintelligent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm also born and raised in New Yorker. I should have said that, too. So, yes, I do <laughs> yoga. Yes, I meditate, but I also am a New Yorker by heart, so. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, that's that. that's the spirit of New York right there, and I love New York, but I lived there for two years, and you know, absolutely hear that, love that, respect that, you know, the ability to take something that would be potentially really, really damaging for someone else's self-esteem and turn it around and, and let it make you stronger. I, I, I really commend you for that. And, uh, you know, and, and at the same time, you know, there's, there's still a woundedness underneath it. It's still like, hey, you know, you didn't treat me as an equal, like that wasn't cool right there. And it's interesting because I feel like many of the people that may have you know, assume that you were the student rather than the teacher, the way that the person spoke to the front desk person differently than they would speak to the, you know, teacher, the way that a teacher looks at, looks at you and makes an assumption about what you can and cannot do. These are, these might be some of the same people that if you ask them, you know, are we all one? And they would say, oh yes, we're all one. Or should, should all beings be treated equally? Yes, all beings should be treated equally, but then they don't treat all beings equally. 
So this is, this is something that it's like, if you, I feel in the yoga space, if you are going to say all beings should be treated equally, then it's not a, it's not an intellectual thought. It's like, you better treat every single being equally. So that means you're going to speak the same way to the front desk person as you speak to your yoga teacher. You're going to, you're going to, as a yoga teacher, treat every single student, you know, with the same respect and not make assumptions based on someone's size, shape, you know, or color and, or age. And this is, Something that's very, very hard to unpack in terms of, you know, in terms of our biases. It's very, it's extremely hard to unpack. And, um, it's a, I think, again, this is the work of, this is the work of yoga. And it's hard, it's hard to do as an individual when you're bombarded with all of these multi-million dollar advertising campaigns that say a different image. So now I think maybe it's a good time for us to, to, to dive into the, the yoga clothing industry. Have you seen any model that's reflected your image? to you in the yoga world and are there any clothes that you feel like yeah these are made for me oh well, <laughs> well i've actually just... written um a couple of blogs on this on my own personal site but um about some like pieces that like i truly love um but there are so many brands that and i'll speak specifically to more like my body type there are so many brands that when they start expanding into a plus size line they essentially just make their clothes, but bigger. And the thing is, with plus size bodies, there's variety. <laughs> there's a lot of variety. And in straight size, there's also a variety. But in plus size as well, it's just like you have more like apple figures. You have more slimmer waist, bigger hips, sometimes bigger waist, smaller hips. And mm-hmm. sort of, I feel like there's a lack of variety in seaming in yoga pants specifically. And in yoga bras or sports bras, for that matter, there's a ver- like there's a lack of variety in coverage of the chest. So uh-huh. I, I'm also depending on the bra can be anywhere from like a 38H to a 40G, 42F, depending on who makes it. So personally, something that I always try to look for is a bra that has enough height to cover my whole chest, so my chest does not hit me when I'm doing a certain pose or even just like running downstairs. And it's one of those things of like. If clothing companies really want to include a wide range of body types, they need to do more research into the body types they're trying to cater to. And I feel Mm -hmm. like there's a disconnect there for a lot of companies. One company that I actually think does it pretty well, but it's like they're very massive and they're owned by a giant corporation. But Athleta Uh (laughs) is doing a pretty good job. A lot of my favorite pieces are from Athleta and -hmm. they have petite, regular, and tall in teams for people of different heights. And then they mm-hmm. also have their plus size collection, even though I wish their plus size collection also had different heights. Not yet, but hopefully they'll expand to do that. And I feel mm-hmm. like their variety in types of, I'll speak to pants first, like pants is amazing because they do have those more traditional like yoga pants and then they have like the wider band at the top, but then they also make pants that have like a smaller, more ribbed band at the top that really hug you in. Um, so that's, and they have a variety of different fabrics. So I think like variety is really mm-hmm. important. And especially when you're a big company owned by a big company, you yeah. know, you should be investing more into mm-hmm. catering to a variety mm-hmm. of body types if you really want to grow your consumer base. But that's just the business yep. talking. Thing. Yeah. No, I was thinking about that. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like the, the larger the company is, the more accountable we have to hold them. So if you're a multi-billion dollar company, it's, you, you can't be sitting there saying, well, it's just me in my basement sewing stuff. It's like, no, no, you have the resources. You're, I think I went on a bit of a tangent, so if you can bring it back to the topic. Yeah. 
No, no, I think it was great. I feel, I feel like, first of all, that, that the, again, the larger the company, I feel like we have to hold them to higher and higher standards because the small mom and pop companies, they're doing, they're, you know, there's someone like they're, I, 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 you know, I know some, some super small yoga companies that are trying to make like a pair of leggings and then they're there. And sometimes what the motivation is for like an up, an up and coming entrepreneur is that they try to make clothes that fit their body because they don't like the way any of the other brands fit. So at first, like maybe they're limited, but it's also them in their basement sewing something for themselves. When you have a giant company, you know, that's growing or your company starts to be profitable. I feel like that's when we really have to hold these larger corporations accountable because they're manufacturing not only a lot of clothes, but they're manufacturing a lot of imagery that a lot of people see. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a, a company that's spending millions of dollars on an advertising campaign, they're opening multiple stores, they're hosting yoga classes in their stores, and their clothes don't represent diversity, inclusivity, they represent exclusivity and the singular notion of what yoga is, then that, that, that kind of needs to be held accountable because they're, they're, they're then part of the inertia towards what is the cycle that's contributing to these unconscious biases that, 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 that we're being asked to dismantle right now. So I completely feel you on that. Completely agree with you. I I personally have a hard time finding yoga clothes. There for 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 myself, I'm kind of like an odd shape, and I'm the opposite of you. I'm I think I'm a foot shorter than you are, but I have like a you know I have one day we'll have to get together and 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 you know and see each other in person. That would that would be lovely. And and um you know so I I I completely understand about not having not having clothes that fit, you know, and, and, and having thighs that are too big and a waist that's not the right size and a bra that doesn't fit. And, and these things just, it, it has this feeling that brings up body hatred so easily. Cause you end up, you end up feeling, or I did anyway, when I would try on clothes from, you know, uh, big brands that have this beautiful imagery and you put it on. I mean, I would look in the mirror and feel like I don't look anything like the model. And this doesn't fit me at all, mm -hmm. like what the model looks like. And I wouldn't take it into, I, it's so easy for that feeling of not fitting in to be internalized for myself anyway, to take it on. Is there something wrong with my body rather than, Hey, there's something wrong with that company. They're not making clothes mm -hmm. for everyone. It's so, it's so easy to take it on like personally, rather than, wait a minute, this is a cultural problem. Like we, we it's, it's not, my body is fine this company just doesn't make clothes that fit me or people that are look like me or are shaped like me. And that, that's a, yeah. a dialogue that, that, that an individual needs to own. And that's hard. You know, was yeah, that, there's a, was there's like, yeah, there's like a no, couple more points, like back, like kind of piggybacking off of what you said. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is hard to like find something that fits you personally, but it's also, it's a couple of things that also tie into the lack of diversity of who you see walk in the room because sometimes people can go into a yoga studio and see everyone in these like really cute outfits and they're like, Oh, like I want to get a cute outfit. Then they go to try on the outfit. The outfit doesn't look good. They're like, Oh, but I can't go to this class and like feel good because I'm just wearing like a t-shirt and shorts. And not to say you can't feel good in a t-shirt and shorts, but some people want the really cute tops and bottoms. And then another mm -hmm. thing is the price point of these clothes. Like, I don't think it's, <laughs> I don't think it's, you know, a mystery to anyone that like yoga clothes, especially when you come to the bigger names are not necessarily affordable for all. And I think another thing, like, once again, as you said, like, we do need to hold these bigger companies accountable to also provide variety in pricing. Because it's like, if you have a company that is that massive and that can produce that amount of clothes that quickly, you should be mm -hmm. able to also offer clothing at a variety of price points, even if it means you have different fabrics for each price point, but there should also be no lack 
of quality in the fabric to make someone feel less than of like, oh, I'm getting lesser quality for a lesser price. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I, I, I know what you mean about the, the price point being really, really off-putting and having this feeling of unworthiness. So now you take it on as now maybe, maybe the clothes fit you, but you couldn't afford them, you know? And then, mm-hmm. and then again, that gets internalized as less than like, oh, there's all this imagery around less than you're not the right size. You're not the right shape. You're not the right color. You're not the right socio. You're not the right class. You know, you don't have enough money mm-hmm. to be here, which essentially is sending this message subliminally to many people, you know, who are black and brown in, you know, in, in the United States and also in the world, like it's essentially saying the subtext of, you know, you don't belong. You're not welcome here. So, and, you know, and that's, that, that is the definition of unconscious bias. So unless uh, this gets unpacked and unless there's actual action that's taken by larger companies, by individuals to truly, you know, to truly make not only, not only can we say, oh yes, you're welcome in the class. It's like, no, well, we have to, we have to have clothes that are, if we're going to have a shop for yoga clothes, there's to be a diversity of offerings. If we're going to have, uh, you know, teachers, we need to have a, a diversity of teachers. And if it takes time to, you know, grow and recruit teachers from a diverse, uh, you know, uh, a, 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 you know, diverse selection of the human population, then those actions need to be taken. Now, I feel like it's people in positions of power who, you know, really need to be doing the work of challenging their own unconscious biases. What do you, like, what do you think? I mean, I feel like so much emotional labor is being done by the black community, by the people like leaders in the, you know, the brown, brown community and indigenous communities. But I feel like the, there are people in positions of power, the CEOs of certain companies, the owners of yoga studios, the, the people who control the advertising at, you know, yoga magazines and wellness magazines and, and, and these sorts of people are like, they're, they're the ones like holding the keys of accessibility. So how do we get these people to unpack their unconscious biases? How do we get culture change on a broad scale? Ah, isn't that the magic question? (laughs) Cause I think that for some, and I think that for a lot of these people, this is the most information that they've taken in. And I feel like sometimes they can feel when it comes to like feeling like not acting, it comes down to one of two things. And it's a very personal perspective that I've seen is either they get very tired and they want to sort of shy away from it. So like, oh, I'm too tired to handle all this. This is too much information to take in. Or they feel attacked and they want to get mm-hmm. defensive. Cause they're like, no, but like, no, we're really good at this. And we're not like, like that. And they, and, and it all comes down to, for example, and um, not for example, but a saying that was told to me in my undergrad was that communication is where we fall apart. And I think that applies to every aspect of life. And when people tend to feel tired and want to shy away or feel attacked and want to get defensive, that sort of cuts off their ability to listen without formulating their own responses first mm-hmm. or communicate what they truly mean rather than just speaking from the top of their head. Which is also personally why, like, when I want to say something different, I take a pause because it's me trying to go, no, what do I really want to say? And I think that some of these people in positions of power, rather than sort of just reacting, reacting, and I know it can be very easy right now to react, need to take that pause, whether it's turn off your cell phone, just take a moment and pause and go, where am I in this societal structure? And what can I do to shift it for, as we all know it as, the greater good? What does the greater good look like? We also need to sort of come to a closer consensus consensus on that 
because as I hear from colleagues, you know, there's sort of this like, oh, well, we want to do one thing, but no, we want to do this thing. But it's like, well, what is the greater good and how do we work towards accomplishing that? I think, you know, taking a pause, reflecting on oneself, mm-hmm. self-educating. We have Google, Google Scholar. If you can, and you're alumni of a school, like go into JSTOR and go look at some cases and case studies and articles of like previous historical events, like educate yourself on what has happened. And from there, making decisions on how we can then move forward. Definitely a good start. I feel that the, the, it takes so much maturity, you know, when someone's challenged and when in a way, then they, to such a degree that they feel backed into a corner and they want to escape and tune out or they, they end up fighting and defending. And the, you know, when people in positions of power start fighting and defending, (laughs) They can wield some powerful weapons that can often, mm-hmm. you know, uh, hurt marginalized communities and, and people who are potentially speaking up. And it's a, it can be scary. You know, there are, there are tools that are, are, um, the tools that can be used to, to, to silence people that, that speak up. So I think that's, I think it's at the same time where I feel we're at a kind of critical mass where the voice of so many people speaking up together for, uh, speaking out against racial injustice, speaking, speaking out against the dominant, you know, heteronormative, white-centered narrative of not only the wellness world, but really of the world and definitely in, you know, the United States is, is getting so loud. So it's, uh, very, it's be hard to ignore for anybody that's listening that does end up in a corner feeling defensive or feeling like they run away. Um, you know, remember the podcast. If you, if someone calls you out and you feel, you feel those two things come up because those are red flags probably that can come up for you. Like, remember this podcast and remember what Angelica said. Like, remember these two things come up when something you're being pushed in a, in a, in a way. So it, maybe you're in a position of power and try to remember what she said to so just take a pause and listen. So if there's, if the, if there's someone out there in a position of power that, you know, uh, can actually enact that positive change. Even just the pause, that in and of itself will maybe be enough to change direction, even 5%. And that can make a difference over many years, you know? Mm-hmm. And one, one more thing I'd like to add to that is be open to change and be open to shifting your opinion with new information. That is incredibly important because there are also some people in the world, unfortunately, that don't want to change and want to uphold, you know, white supremacy and all of what it's done. And it, that also is a huge barrier that right now we are literally busting down. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think it is for people that don't want to change? Like what, and have you ever interacted with someone that's just straight up said, you know, I don't want to change. I like things the way they are. When it comes to anything in life. Yeah, I, any, I mean, I, I mean, anything. There's a lot of things many of us don't want to change, you yeah. know. But, but yeah. I think, I, yeah. you know, I've been, like, ask me to change my diet, and I'll, right now I'll be like, I'm, I'm good, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm happy <laughs> with my diet, you know what I mean. So, yeah. you know, so I, I think there's definitely Actually, not, something. Yeah, there's some things each of us don't want to change, but, but, but what you, I, 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 I don't know if I've ever spoken with anyone that's like, yeah, I'm good with white supremacy. Let me, let's just keep things how they are. But at the same time, there are many people who I, I don't know if they say they want to keep things how they are, but they reminisce about the good old days of, you know, when things were normal and now and people say, oh, now things are weird that that I have interacted with people around, you know, where they 
they reminisce around a past that they had idealized as something good. And that as though the, the, the discussion that's happening now is chaotic and bad that I've interacted with people around and, you know, uh, and how about you and what, what's your, what's been your experience of what the root of that might be? Yeah. I'll answer that with like a mini, mini, mini story about me as a child. So with my bedroom, I always left it an organized mess, meaning everything was everywhere, but I knew where everything was. And every once in a while, when I would go to school, my mom would go in my room and clean everything up. So I came home, there was a change and I got very angry. And of course, like me being a kid, I was like, why would you change everything? I knew where everything was. And she was like, well, this is better. And I'm like, no. And then I would re-mess everything up and know where everything is. Flash forward to when I got a little older, a little wiser. One day I looked around at my space and I went, you know, things are kind of cluttered. And I cleaned up my room and I organized it the way I liked it. So everything was clean. Everything had a place. And I went, you know, mom was kind of right. Like organizing is better, but I wanted to be the one to do the organizing. And I feel like in a way that relates to where we are now, some people go, oh, the good old days. Well, it's like, well, good for who? It might've been good for you, but not good for those around you in your space. You know, you kind of have to go look beyond your personal bubble and go, okay, well, if I haven't been paying attention before, what's going on? Let's try to make a shift. And then making that shift, you might realize, oh, you know, things are actually kind of better this way. And I think that can be applied to multiple ways of life, whether it's personally, communally, in your business, or in society and government. Mm -hmm. I really love that story. And I have to share that I was that child as well. And I had <laughs> numerous interactions with my mom in the same way. And it took me my own time as well to realize, you know what, mom is right. So I think maybe our mom's going to have a conversation one day and be like, yeah, we remember those rooms. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. the, but, but one other interesting thing is that, you know, sometimes people aren't going to change in that moment and you think you're not making an impact with what you say. So you say, you speak and, you know, they, they walk away and they're super defensive. And then you feel like, oh, that was totally fruitless, but you don't know that maybe you planted a seed of doubt in whatever artifice of belief that individual has. And then they're going to go off and live their life. And maybe, maybe there was a word that you said that was just planted in, in their mind, a little, a crack in the, you know, the perfect veneer of whatever idealized world that they, that they were holding. And then, you know, two, three years later, they're, they, they, you know, make a decision to dive into it. And somehow, you know, you don't know what that trajectory is. So I feel like that, that, that's interesting as well, that, you know, people at some moment have to take the decision to change themselves and no amount of, you know, yelling or, oh, you know, showing people that it's better and this kind of thing. Like each individual, we're all on our own trajectories and, you know, whatever we can do to be willing to be open to change is so important. And, and if someone isn't like, we're probably not going to convince them, you know, like they're probably mm -hmm. going to need to take whatever time they need. But at the same time, if they're, you can, they're not in alignment. <laughs> I, 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 like, what do you, have you ever had to cut ties with a, with a studio or with someone with a, with a business or brand because it was, the, you know, their values were just not in alignment with where you were, were you know, with what you embody? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The first, my first job I ever had, I had to leave and cut ties. And even as I gave them a four month notice, because it was a dance studio, so I gave them four months notice and the owner is like, how could you do this? And blah, blah, blah. And I realized when she was 
reacting to me that way. I was like, well, you've been mentally and emotionally kind of like manipulating me my entire life, haven't you? And it was kind of, I was at that studio for like 17 years and it was just like, oh, I need to get away from this and not be a part of this because I can't deal with this sort of manipulation and always catering to sort of like the company culture was what I didn't agree with, you know, I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. And um, even like a studio, it was just like, some people tell me that they go to the studio I went to and I'm like, okay, good for you. But I just don't feel right being in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's just not for me. And I think that's also good to like say that certain things aren't for you because I also, this is another thing. Cause sometimes we say things aren't for us, but then we sort of vilify it to the point where we're like, mm-hmm. no one can like this thing. And I feel like there are things where that is valid, but then I also feel like there needs to be a point of like, okay, well, why don't you like it? And that can apply to whatever you believe in, in whatever sort of quote unquote side, if you believe in sides rather than a spectrum you belong on. (laughs) It's sort of like, okay, well, like when we dislike things, why do we like vilify it to the point where like no one else can like this rather than just being like, you know what? It's not for me. I need to sort of cut ties with this. Right. Exactly. As simple as, you know, I like oranges and you like apples. Like I don't need to like, you know, ban you from eating apples. Assuming, of course, that that behavior isn't harmful to another, you know, if that if that mm-hmm. behavior is is just, you know, it's just a it's just a preference, then that's fine. But then I think the line the lines get the lines get blurry when when someone may engage, when an individual or company may then engage in a behavior that's harmful to others. So then then you know then you have to speak up and say, you know, actually, you know, those are poisoned apples, and stop feeding them to people or or whatever it is that's that's going on, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So the the last thing I'd love to talk about is where people can find you and connect with you. Um, so you have a blog uh, that you've written on, you know, on your own site and you're also a teacher and now we're in this online space. So where can people find you if they want to come take your class and be in your space and learn from you? So everything is A-M-W loves. Those are my initials, Angelica Marie Wilson loves. That's how the name came about. Um, so that's my Instagram and my website and you can contact me on both of those. That's awesome. And thanks so much, Angelica. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kino. Cool. So then that's the end of the podcast. And then, uh, again, thank you so much for the conversation. This was really, really awesome. And I hope it will be very useful to many people. And we're super excited to have you teaching, you know, on OMSTARS too, which is, we're super excited about that. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit 
which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.